invite you to turn in God's word this morning to the book of Leviticus chapter 13. Book of Leviticus chapter 13. For those of you who are visiting with us uh, this morning, uh, I had given the congregation earlier in the week uh, an assignment, and that was to read chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 in preparation uh, for this morning's message. Uh, Certainly, I don't want to have to reread all of that. Uh, this morning in terms of the reading of God's Word. Uh, And so I'd encourage you, if you did not do that, uh, um, maybe you are a visitor and you didn't get that notice or a member and didn't get around to it, uh, it would make good reading for this afternoon um, as well. Leviticus chapter 13, though, I'm going to read a, a portion of this because it sort of gives us Uh, I I think the flavor of what the entire section uh, of this portion of the book of Leviticus is about. And we we would refer to these as purity laws um, that God gives to his people. And so chapter 13, verse 1, hear then the breathed out word of the Lord to us. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying... When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if, his, uh, if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, 
So far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white, and he is clean. But when the raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. The priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. And then I'd invite you to turn over to Leviticus 15. Leviticus 15. And we'll just read verse 31. So as we come to the conclusion of all of these purity laws, starting from chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, verse 31 of the 15th chapter. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Thus far, the reading of God's word. I certainly invite you to keep the scriptures open this morning as we'll be referencing a number of passages uh, throughout God's word as we deal with these chapters. Let's come before him then and ask for God's blessing upon the proclamation of this word to this day. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word and just pray that uh, even these difficult passages may be, become clear in our minds through the preaching of your word. And we just ask your blessing on Pastor Bob as he brings this to us, that we may learn from this and be, draw closer to you, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So three main points this morning as we consider these. First of all, the purity laws. What are is covered, what is being dealt with as we cover these several chapters in the book of Leviticus. So first, the purity laws. Secondly, the purpose understood. Why? That may have been your question as you're reading through these chapters. Why? Why is this happening? Why, why is God making these commands? Why, why these regulations? So the purpose understood. And thirdly, the provision given. The provision that is given. First of all then the purity laws. I want you to note that as we begin these sections and even as I began uh, Leviticus 13, 1, the Lord spoke. So these are not Moses laws. These are not the congregation's laws. These weren't the, the elders of Israel's laws. These weren't the priest's laws. This wasn't man. This, this wasn't a man thing. This wasn't a decided upon thing. It wasn't the medical establishment of Israel if they had one of that day, which seems to be the priest of that day. They're not making it. It is the Lord spoke. And most of your versions probably capitalize the entire word for Lord in this passage. 
And as many of us have talked about, as I've mentioned before, when that occurs in our Bibles, it is a reference to the fact that the word that is actually used there in Hebrew is Yahweh, Jehovah. And it stands for and it represents God's covenant name. When God is in and speaking to his people, and is referring to himself as their covenant God, he uses the term Yahweh, signified in our English versions by the capital letters L-O-R-D. So God is coming, he is speaking to his covenant people. He's not talking to Egypt, he's not talking to Babylon, he's not talking to Greece, he is talking to those that he brought out of Egypt. He is talking to those that he has redeemed. He is talking to those that he has bought with a price. He is talking to the church when he speaks this way. The Lord spoke to them. But it involves, you see, then a relationship. God is coming to them In a covenant relationship, he is speaking to them. He's not waiting for them to vote on these proposals that are before them. These are not proposals. The the covenant is not somehow arranged in the sense that we get to make some terms. We get to define. It is all of God because it is all of grace. The fact that God desires a covenant relationship with his people is a covenant of grace. It's grace that God comes and gives to his people these laws. Why? Because he is the one who is dwelling in the midst of them in the tabernacle. That's why we come back to chapter 15, 31. I don't want you to appear before me and die at the tabernacle where I dwell. If you come into my presence defiled, you're going to die. And I don't want that. And so I give you these laws. I give you these commandments. I give you these aspects of the covenant so that you will know what you are to do when these circumstances and situations arise. So although we may read these and go, wow, this is really harsh, it's anything but harsh. It is gracious of the Lord who has bought, who has redeemed his people to come to them and to say, I desire to dwell in your midst, but I'm a holy God and I can't dwell with you if you're defiled. So let me tell you what defilement is and then let me tell you how to deal with your defilement in order that we can indeed have a relationship with one another. The Lord spoke. And as we look through these chapters, various circumstances are dealt with, aren't they? We have the issue of childbirth. Because there is the issue of blood. And blood is seen... As a means of defilement. Now I want you to think about this. Okay, You need to think this through. Why would blood 
be such a concern to God. Remember, the whole backdrop is appearing before God at the, at the tabernacle. So if I appear before God with my own blood or the blood of another person upon me, what does that indicate? God is interpreting that and seeing that as being, look, I have given you but one blood by which you can appear before me. I have given you but one means by which you can enter into my presence. The blood of those animals that I have chosen, that represent and stand for the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't come into my presence with your own blood. Don't come into into my presence with the blood of another human being upon you. No. God is saying, you see, then, then, then I'd have to destroy you. So I want you to be warned. If, if you have blood upon you as a result of childbirth, you need to stay away. And in a few moments, we'll get into the means God provides. Secondly, there's not only the issue of childbirth, there's all sorts of skin stuff here. All sorts of stuff that's under the category of leprosy. But leprosy isn't always the the situation that you and I think of. It includes that. The stuff where your appendages start being eaten away and so on. Yes, it includes that. But leprosy includes any issue of skin. That's why in this chapter we're dealing with swellings. We're dealing with with little pimples that get raised. We're dealing with with boils and all sorts of things. Because leprosy has to deal with the skin. And God is saying when you come before me, when you come before me, and you notice and you see, oh, I got a swelling here. Should I come before the Lord with this swelling? You need to go to the priest, get examined, and figure this out. Why? Why? Because when you come before me, you have to come before me as one without blemish. Not only skin, but items. <laughs> there, are, there, there are sections here that deal with what do you do with mold and mildew in your house, in your home? How do you deal with that one? Don't come before me if you're coming out of a home where there's mold and mildew. Your clothes, it may not be on you, but what about your clothing? Your pots, your pants. God has, has, has left out nothing in these chapters that need to be considered. There are also discharges that have not to do with blood, but other means by which we may have Various forms of liquid upon us that God judges to be a disqualifier from appearing before his presence. Of coming to him in worship. And so there's a whole wide variety of topics that are dealt with here in these chapters. But why? What is the purpose? Well, one of it, okay, it's not the major purpose, 
But one is the Lord's concern for the health of his people. If you stop to think about two to three million people living in a small enclosed area and there is an outbreak of some sort of disease, some sort of leprosy, some sort of mold and mildew that makes people sick, what, what's he going to do? Go, I could care less what happens to your health. There is certainly an aspect of this in which God is concerned about the spread of diseases and illnesses. That's why there's the examination. Not left up to you. It needs to be examined. Somebody needs to look at this. There needs to be a period of waiting, a period of setting aside, of saying, you know, you really shouldn't come in contact with anybody until we figure out what it is that you actually have. Because if it is full-blown leprosy and it's turning into that, this would be devastating in the camp. There are the cleansings and the shavings that God is having to make sure so that it can be identified. But it's his concern for his people. God is a loving God. He's gracious and compassionate. I just mentioned he desires this relationship with his redeemed people. But the relationship he desires is for their complete betterment. So that we have in the New Testament, Lord, may I glorify you just when I show up on the Lord's day to worship. No, it's whether I eat or drink and everything that I do. Because God is concerned about the whole of our lives. Even our health. Even the spots that appear upon our skin. And so we need to be reminded. Yes, that is part of the purpose here. This is part of the way in which God is treating his people with love. But the greater message is the Lord's purity. See, the Lord is pure. There is no defilement in him. There is no uncleanness in the Lord. When you read through these chapters, there, you, you hear that over and over and over again. They are unclean. It is unclean. It is unclean. They are unclean. They are unclean. But you never read, and you never will read in God's word, that he is unclean. Because God is pure. He is holy. There is no impurity in the being of God. We read, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Without impurity. Just and upright is he. Psalm 5, 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Isaiah 6, 3. And one called to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Repeated for us in Revelation chapter 4. The holiness, the purity of God. And because God is pure, 
perfectly pure in all of his attributes, in all of his being. He cannot, he cannot tolerate even a smudge in his presence. He cannot tolerate even a raised area of skin in his presence. He, he cannot tolerate clothing that is stained and impure because of what it has touched in his presence. He cannot even tolerate a person who has lived in a mold-infested home coming into his presence because they carry it with them. Because he is so perfectly holy and pure. And he's teaching his people this. Because you see, the laws of the nations around them do not extend to these things. The laws of the nations around them allow for all sorts of impurity. And God is saying, not me. Not me. You may worship your dung beetle gods down there in Egypt, but don't treat me as a dung beetle god. I'm holy. Therefore, oh, as we have read multiple times, you must be holy, for I am holy. God is reminding not only these people of old, his church there in the wilderness, but he's reminding you and I as the church of this day that we too must take serious the holiness of God. And we must take serious our own impurity. There is no need of a Savior if I'm not a sinner. And the more I understand my sin, the greater the love and grace of God. You see, this is the Lord's reminder. That's why I read 15 verse 31. But I want you to notice something. I hope you still have your Bibles open there. The next chapter in Leviticus is about the Day of Atonement. It's about the, the national day of setting things right. I want you to notice, we'll come to this next Lord's Day, but I want you to notice just the 16th verse. So chapter 16, verse 16, and note the tie-in. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. Isn't that an interesting word to use after 12, 13, 14, 15, after four chapters of mentioning over and over and over and over again the uncleannesses of God's people? 
and the various ways one can be unclean. One wonders if God is sending and speaking a spiritual message in all of this. Of course he is, because look at what it says. Because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. What is this really all about? What is this uncleanness stuff really all about? It's God's reminder to them, you're a sinner. We see it in the book of Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 where the high priest Joshua is, is pictured as one who is in filthy garments. And the Lord says, no, take those filthy garments off from him and give him holy ones. We see it pictured for us in Isaiah where Isaiah says, even the best, even the best of our efforts are but filthy rags. And it's a direct reference to Leviticus chapter 12. Even our best in the sight of God is but filthy rags. Because it's always covered with sin. That's where Paul takes us, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 3. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. Because you see, when you're done reading chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, you cannot walk away and say, wow, sooner or later, I would have been one of the unclean ones. Sooner or later, somebody would have found a pimple. Sooner or later, somebody would have found a raised spot. Sooner or later, somebody's going to find a spot of mold in our house, on our pan, in the crease of one of our garments. Sooner or later, yes, why? Because we are all sinners. That's God's message. That's why those rules are so extensive. He is forcing them to look at themselves and say, I am unclean. How am I going to live in a desert for 40 years and not have this stuff happen? How are we going to do that? It's going to be impossible. Right. Because God's message to us, it is impossible for you to be without sin. And if we say we have no sin, what does John say? Then we're a liar. And the truth of God is not in us. And all them uncleanness laws. Why we got to have all that? Because God wants to pound it into our heads. You're a sinner. Because you see, it's the one thing we don't ever want to really admit. It's the one thing we want to avoid. Others, yes. Self, no. But God is making these laws so stringent, so tight, that they would have to say, I am unclean. Because you see, we need to understand the absolute purity and holiness of God and our own sinfulness and our own shortcoming. But here is the beauty of these chapters. God doesn't say, oh, too bad, you're gone. Too bad, that's it. You're out of here. God makes provisions. 
In the Old Testament, those provisions come to us as shadows. They are pictures. But they're shadows on the ground, pointing to the greater reality that you and I know as Christ. And we'll get there in a few moments. But first of all, consider the shadows that God is giving to them. Just listen to the words. Just listen to how this is is portrayed for us. Listen to what God said. Oh, you have a problem with an issue of blood? I have a solution for that. I make provision for your that. You have a problem with mold in your house? I have something for that. You have some problems with your skin? I have a solution to that. They're not coming up with it. See, it's God coming, reminding us that we are sinners and that we stand in need of forgiveness. But God is the one who makes the provision. Chapter 12, the provision is sacrifice of animals. Chapter 13, the provision is temporarily being removed. Examination, washings. Removal by burning clothes, washings. And even in the case of a full-blown case of leprosy, God says, you can hang out, but outside the camp. They are never put into the wilderness. They are never thrown away. They're always allowed to follow the people of God along. To call out unclean, unclean, and what happens when we come to Christ in the New Testament? reaches out his hand in compassion and love. Even touching the leper. And restoring them. See, when you think about this in, in, in terms of sin, all oh, the glory of the beauty of God's grace. Chapter 14. We have sacrificial sprinklings, shavings, washings, bathings. Sacrificial blood and oil on your right earlobe, on your right thumb, on your right big toe. Just like the priests were ordained. It's an amazing thing that God does for his people. If it's their houses, there's an examination, there are waitings, there are removal of stones and plaster. There is the replacement of them. There are washings, there are sacrificial sprinklings even provided to houses and garments And pots and pans. Chapter 15. The washing of clothes. Bathing. Evening sacrifice. And every time of course that we speak of a sacrifice. It is always the sacrifice that is without blemish. Holy and pure. Pointing us to Christ. Now does the New Testament really go here? Does the New Testament, do, do, do we find in the New Testament that, that it actually does deal with the, the idea of impurity and uncleanliness? Well, go with me to the book of Titus. Okay? Here's, here would be your New Testament counterpart to all these shadows that we have just read about here or that you have just read about, and I've just reiterated to you from those chapters of Leviticus. Titus chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 11, but I'm going to uh, uh, specify 
Look at more intently verse 14. Titus 2, we're starting at verse 11. Notice how this begins. For the grace of God has appeared. See, God's grace is that he comes to Moses and to Aaron and he says, teach them what uncleanness is. But teach them the shadow. Teach them the means by which their uncleanness can be dealt with. It is by grace that we have been saved. This is, this is the glorious recovery of the Reformation, isn't it? Huh? We're, we're not laying on beds of nails anymore. Right? We're not having to take vows of celibacy anymore. We're not having to beat ourselves with our own devised whip as a penalty for our sins. The Reformation recovered for us the glorious, glorious message of grace. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Why did Christ come? Take away my sin. Why did Christ come? To die as the penalty for my sin. Why did Christ come? To purify. Why do I need purification? Because Leviticus tells me there is no way, Bob, that you're going to escape the fact that you are a sinner. You need to be purified just like those people in the Old Testament living under God's covenant needed purification because they could not abide and they could not live on their own. And in their own strength and obedience to these laws. They were an impure people. But God sent the shadow of the washings. Of the sacrifices. Of the anointings. As a picture to represent that which we have just read in Titus. That our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has come. To purify you. To purify me from all our lawlessness. What a glorious message God gives to us in the book of Leviticus. Verses and chapters we'd probably say, I don't need that today. What's that got to do with my life? It's got everything to do with life. It's got everything to do with grace. It's got everything to do with a loving God who graciously provides a means for you and I to be washed, to be cleansed in the blood 
of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In whom there was found no sin. In whom there was found no impurity. In whom there was no blemish. was the pure, spotless Lamb of God who sheds His blood to purify you and to purify me. Oh, how thankful we need to be for grace. But there is more. Turn with me to one more passage this morning. 2 Corinthians Chapter 7. Paul in 2 Corinthians, as he does in 1 Corinthians, is speaking to a church that is in the midst of great impurity, great immorality. It surrounds them. It surrounds them. It surrounds them in the sense that there, there are probably certain places. Uh, I'll put it this way. There are probably certain places or certain homes that you have been in in which the stench is so strong that when you walk out of that house, even though you might have only been in there for a few minutes, you go, oh, I don't know if I want to get in my vehicle because now my vehicle's going to smell that way. I certainly... Don't want to walk into my home because my home will smell that way. I'm going to take off my clothes and I'm going to burn them. The Corinthian church is living in a culture in which they go, wow. And increasingly, brothers and sisters, is that not the world in which we live in? That the stench of sin and uncleanliness, the uncleanness of this world is so strong. I gotta burn my clothes. I gotta wash. I need a cleansing. Just because we've been so close to the sin of this world. Second Corinthians seven one. Since we have these promises, what promise? Chapter six fourteen through eighteen. We are the temple of the living God. Israel's dealing with a tent in which God dwells in the midst of them. You and I deal with the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Paul writes, since we have these promises, beloved. Notice the language. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. My friends, that's the gospel. Yes, Jesus died my soul to save. Absolutely. And out of gratitude and out of thankfulness, Paul writes to believers, cleanse yourself 
from the impurities of life and seek to live holy before the Lord your God. What is the response of grace? I can do what I want. I can live how I want. What is the response to grace? I'm going to create a whole bunch of rules and laws and that will be the means by which I gain my salvation. Now, it's turning to God and saying, God, in your word, you gave us these chapters out of Leviticus to show us how horrible sin is in your presence. Give me a spirit in my heart. Enkindle my soul to hate sin. Not only in this world, but to hate sin in my own heart as much as you hate sin. I know you sent your son to die for me. You love me so much that you sent your son to be the only means of my salvation. Lord, out of gratitude, let me live for you, holy and pleasing in your sight. That is the gospel. And God's people say, Father, thank you for your word. Your word. Your word above all earthly powers. Your word in Christ alone is the word of grace, is the word of hope, is the word of peace, is the word of comfort, is the word of assurance. Christ alone. So we hear echoed. We hear echoed that great and glorious theme of the Reformation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For the glory of you alone. Help us live. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.